0: The Women in Media podcast is proudly sponsored by Organic Traditions for Spring 2024. Stay tuned for a special deal during this episode. I'm Sarah Burke, and this is the Women in Media podcast. My guest today is an award-winning radio personality from Toronto, now hosting a nationally syndicated radio show in Philly. I would guess that you'd be familiar with her work from the CBC here in Toronto, Indie88, and 102.1 The Edge, where she actually trained me on the board back in the day.
1: One of the reasons I wanted to leave Toronto was because I didn't know where to go from where I was. It, as far as music went, it didn't feel like there were a lot of options for me at that moment and I wanted something new. There was a whole bunch of uncharted stuff for me to like
0: explore. My last guest of 2022 is Raina Doris, the host of NPR's World Cafe. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Oh, thank you for your patience. I know that it's been like a nightmare trying to get this, get a date down. So I really appreciate it. I'm glad we actually are doing it.
0: I'm super intrigued about your move down to the States and all the differences between the Canadian market and the American market. But I think we got to start... Um, with who you work for, because to the average Canadian, uh, including me, this is a little confusing. If I have this right, you technically work for WXPN, but it's also NPR?
1: Yes. So uh, WXPN is owned by the University of Pennsylvania, and it is a community-supported public radio station. So it's mostly listener-supported. Listeners are our biggest source of funding. And, uh, yeah, we, we produce the show here, and then it is distributed by NPR, it's one of the sort of public broadcasters. It's the national public radio, but like, it's it, the whole system here is just slightly different. Like, there are lots of public radio distributors. There's things like PRX uh, and 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 various other places that do distribute national or like public programming. It gets confusing. I'm only starting to just understand how it all works. Technically, I'm an employee of the University of Pennsylvania. So I like to tell people I work for an Ivy League university. Um, But yeah, I'm I'm kind of under a bunch of different umbrellas.
0: Is it safe to assume that the impact you have on your listeners is so much greater because it's publicly funded like the CBC here?
1: I mean, I think that, you know, having worked at the CBC, which is also listener funded, just in a very different way that is much more compulsory. um, I think that, like, you know that your audience wants to hear you. You know that like, if, if, it's, if what you're doing is resonating, um, you get to hear from people on a really personal level when they become members of the radio station, that sort of thing. Uh, when I do fun drives a couple times a year, we do them at WXPN. and you know, you get messages from listeners who write in and you and you really kind of get this feeling for the sense of community. Um, so that, I think, at least from my side of the microphone, the interactions that you have are—the they're, they're, the percentage of positive interactions you have is higher. That does not to say that at the CBC you wouldn't have positive interactions. You do all the time. The CBC is like a beloved institution. But then there are the people who really, really hate it, like who want to defund it and all that stuff that you're sort of dealing with because, you know, they it's part of their lives whether they want it to be or not. And I'm not saying one model is necessarily better than the other because I think there are big pros for both. But— as a host, the feedback I get probably is like on the whole more positive <laughs> working uh, at a listener supported station.
0: And because you've worked in public radio in Canada as well as, as private radio, is there a favorite?
1: That's hard because they are all great for different reasons. I really love, I will say I really love working in the environment I'm in now because it does sort of feel like a combination of, of some of my favorite parts of other places that I've been. So it has the kind of, you know, we're publicly funded and we are community-supported feeling of, you know, public radio. But then it has this sort of, because of the place that I work, WXPN in Philly, because we're not at, like, NPR headquarters, we're kind of in our own little rock station world, it still feels kind of like Indie 88 and, like, this sort of scrappy, like, we're going to pull together and do, like, a big fun countdown or we're going to we're really close to our listeners like there's this sort of on the street level that we have going on here and I think like you know one of my favorite things about radio is that connection that you're able to make and even though I'm a national show and I hope to make that connection with people across the country I also love that we have sort of the local side of things and I get to to kind of be part of the community on a local level um that is harder when you're working at somewhere like someplace like the CBC, where you're doing a national morning show that goes across the country and and it's not really supposed to necessarily be based in Toronto. It's supposed to appeal to everybody. Right. So you're not really doing those like meet people on, on the street sort of things. Um, you know, I love doing live radio. Uh, so when I get to do that here, sometimes on the local station, it's such a treat. Um, and and yeah i guess and i don't know how to exactly answer that question but i think like when i've been lucky enough to do all of these things and sort of figure out the parts that i really
0: love yeah that's fair very fair okay so what about moving down to philly like how how did this opportunity present itself i know that there was a former cbc year in there before who you maybe had a, a connect with but you know i i figured it would have been a daunting thing especially with what's going on going on politically in both canada and the us over the last few years i can't even imagine
1: yeah i mean it was i think moving to a new place anywhere is a big decision i mean i've lived my entire life in the Toronto area or Toronto itself before this. Um, And when I applied for this job, it was the sort of thing where I was like, you know, it's a good idea to apply for this stuff. I don't know if I would actually make the move. It's a pretty big decision, but I'm going to just apply and see how it goes. And you never know. Um, And I'd always wanted to move to the States to work. And that's partly because there are so many more options. Uh, There are so many more people there are so many more cities, uh, and that means there are more places to work. Um, but, yeah, when when it was happening, when it finally kind of came down to it and I went for my interview, I flew down here, and I was really on the fence, and I came for, like, my final interview. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just going to see what happens. And I walked into this building here, and I was like, oh, I love it. Like, I, love it. I loved it right away. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when I would tell people, you know, this was 2019— summer, fall of 2019, telling people that I'm like, I'm going to move to the States now from Canada. I got a lot of people saying, are you sure you want to do that? Um, You know, it's politically very uh, tumultuous right now. Uh, There's like gun violence. Yeah, all those things are true. Um, But there is this idea of what living in the States is going to be like, that you're like is painted on TV, on the news in Canada, that is not totally reflective of what it's actually like to live downtown in a city in America. I mean, living in Philly versus living in Toronto, it's not that different as far as your day-to-day life except that Philly's more affordable to live in. Um like this <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I there are like there's things. I, the healthcare thing was a really weird adjustment, um was confusing and intimidating and still is. Um I don't love that, but I do love sort of, at least in Philadelphia, it's a very vibrant place and the music scene is very much alive and, and just getting to experience a different sort of media landscape has been really interesting. Um, You know, I had to learn when I got down here because of CanCon, there's a whole section of like bands that I know really, really well that like don't really have the same uh, established presence down here. But instead, there's all these other bands I haven't heard of that got replaced with CanCon bands on Canadian radio. So I had to, like, learn about all of these bands that are, you know, pretty big here, kind of medium level, that I'd never heard of in my life. That suddenly it was like, oh, you don't know them? It's like, yeah, I don't, because they were always, like, a different band was always kind of put in that slot. Um, But yeah, the move was, it was big. It was like a, it's an eight-hour drive. It's an hour and a half flight. It's not so bad, but it feels far enough that I get homesick. The other night, um, Bob Cajun came on, on this station down here by Tragically Hip. They never really play Tragically Hip, but we're doing this big 90s thing right now. And I was lying in bed, and I was listening to it, and I got really homesick. I was like, oh, no, I miss Canada. I miss, <laughs> Canada.
0: <laughs> I miss yeah. it. And equally, like, shocking to even hear it in the first place there. <laughs>
1: oh, I know. It's, it's amazing the stuff that you don't think you will miss that you end up missing when you move somewhere else. I'm like, oh, man, mm-hmm. I miss Timbits. It's like, I didn't care about Timbits when I lived in Canada. Now yeah. I want
0: one. Like- <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so when she's home for the holidays, are you coming home for the holidays, by the way? Yes, I am. Yeah. Get yourself some damn Timbits, please. <laughs> the job itself, walking into a broadcasting establishment in the States as a Canadian. Um, aside from learning music, what about like, how you were received as a Canadian in an American radio landscape?
1: Well, fortunately, the person who was on this show before me was also Canadian, Um, but uh, I didn't realize how strong my accent was, and that took some time to kind (laughs) of get used to. There'd just be words that people would be like, like, okay, so here's, here's a great example. I was interviewing Barbara Streisand. No big deal. But I said something. I can't remember what the word was that I said, but she stopped me. and She's like, what did you just say? And I said it again. And she goes, are you Canadian? And she then started to quiz me on different Canadian or different Canadian pronunciations of things like uh, Chianti. We say Chianti, the wine. That's not how you say it here. I think they say Chianti. Uh, Pasta and pasta are different. Like things that I never really thought about um, that you just or about, about a word I say constantly. Uh, And I now hear a boot all the time. But I mean, ultimately, it's all pretty similar. People are really, really nice about it. I think people like... People like Canadians. It's, you know, we're yeah. seen as like funny, nice people um, in at least in America. So that helps. Most people don't notice until they realize that you have a bit of an accent. Yeah. And then, you know, then they'll say something like, oh, I've only ever been to Montreal. <laughs> or and you're like cool. or. Uh, yeah, my family went to Niagara Falls once. <laughs> and then also nobody knows how far away anything is in Canada. Like no one yeah. knows that Vancouver and Toronto are like. Across beside each,
0: each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, you basically started your job by the time you were getting comfortable in your role, the pandemic hits. I mean, I've seen your stuff online over the last two years, and I don't know if you felt this. I certainly did. It became easier and more attainable to get like these guests that were doing the same thing that me and you are doing right now, talking to people over a screen. Yeah. What was your like Greatest interview moment. You've had so many great guests on, on your show over the last little while. Like, give me give me a couple just special moments.
1: Well, that Barbra Streisand thing was really great. Um, yeah. Interviewing Neil Young was probably the coolest thing I've gotten to do.
0: I would have shit my pants.
1: Oh, my God. I was so nervous. I had 90 minutes with him, which is an incredibly long amount of time. And, you know, I've loved Neil Young since I was a kid my parents love Neil Young. it was there's a lot riding on this plus it's like yeah I'm Canadian I'm the Canadian one right at, at work and it's like okay this you guys you guys don't even understand how big of a deal this is uh, and <laughs> it was it was I don't even know how to describe it I mean it was weird like there's moments in it where you have to like stop yourself and just sort of look at it and be like this is really happening this is really happening right now I'm talking to Neil Young and he like knows that I exist and he's talking to me Um <laughs> which that so that was really cool uh bruce springsteen we just had on which was pretty wild um he'd never been on the show before in the 30 years that world cafes existed so that was pretty exciting
0: maybe maybe um, neil gave him one of these i don't
1: know <laughs> i like to think yeah he was just like hey uh,
0: we know this show with this girl she was really great <laughs> um and
1: uh oh a big one for me this is this has been really cool one thing with world cafe that i love is that we we interview musicians, but we also interview musicians who aren't necessarily primarily known as musicians. So, uh, one of my first ones was Jeff Gold- Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum was like one of my first five interviews over the phone. Come he on. tried to get me to sing the this here's a Canadian thing. He tried to get me to sing the Canadian national anthem in French, and I seriously regretted not paying attention. <laughs> Uh, to how to do that because I couldn't do it. Um, and also Tim Heidecker, a comedian or primarily comedian, a comedian before, now is both a musician and comedian. And, um, you know, getting to talk to him was something that was really really cool. Uh, there are so many. I mean, it's it's been really incredible. Like there are many moments where I've had to stop and be like, you need to really savor that this is happening, right now. Yeah. Um, because it's pretty unbelievable.
0: Well, it's also unbelievable even in like the the context of this cam- basically campus radio station having such clout that Bruce Springsteen and Neil Young will come on. I have heard the interviews. The interviews were amazing. I know what you bring to the table, but it's it's funny to me that World Cafe and WXPN have become these these homes for such great artists.
1: World Cafe has really established itself over I mean like I said, it turned 30 in 2020, 2020, 2021? Sometime 2021. when you were there. Turn, it turned 30 <laughs> in 2021. Um, the show started in 1991. XPM was around before that. They have just really established a reputation uh, as a place that, that really cares about music and that is really passionate. I mean, I know that when I started at Indie 88, the program director at the time, Adam Thompson, when I was starting as a uh, the music director and afternoon drive host gave me a list of stations that we should be paying attention to uh, that play great music. And, and a lot of those were college stations uh, in the States. And XPN was on that list. Um, the college radio sort of station landscape in the States is a lot stronger than... Like, I don't want to say that because I've never worked in the Canadian college radio system. But the like, college radio charts would be in Rolling Stone magazine. Like it, They yeah. are tastemakers, right? People yeah. look to them, or or at least have for a long time looked at them things are always changing as we know with streaming and everything but they're still influential um especially when it comes to breaking kinds of music that don't necessarily have a home on a lot of other mainstream radio stations so yeah it is it is really pretty incredible when you think about it that way that they're they're college stations that now have this huge reach
0: i want to go back to like your your radio days in canada Um, so funny enough, I was thinking about this the other day. I feel like I'm like literally following in your footsteps sometimes because you trained me on the board at the edge Yep. and you end up at Indie 88. I work at Indie 88 now. I was thinking about what I used to remember about your shows on Indie 88. You know, I heard you talk a lot about mental health stuff and now you're doing like primarily a music show. Do you find it harder to, like I know you said, get to fill in sometimes for local radio? Do you bring that stuff into a show there, or has that been a big adjustment?
1: What I get to do on World Cafe is, you know, a lot of it, I, I there's sort of two parts of the show. There's the first and second hour. The second hour is like kind of a more straight ahead, playing you songs, talking about the music. The first hour is the interview. And what the interview really lets me do is talk about all of those things that I used to have to keep in like a 20-second quick break, right?
0: Now you can have
1: conversations about all sorts of issues with an artist, uh, and that kind of satisfies that. I mean, sure, I'm sure that if you just let me go off, I could go off on lots of different subjects. But (laughs) um, music is a great lens through which to look at all of those things because it is such a a human expression of like feelings and like emotions and experience and all of these things there's really like no conversation you can't have when it comes to when it comes to music it. so so that's um that's been a really fun thing it's let me kind of go beyond what I was able
0: to do before It's Sarah Burke here, the host of the Women in Media podcast and the founder of the Women in Media Network. Yep, now there's an entire network. I've been working really hard to get things off the ground. And what would I do without coffee? I can barely function without it. But I feel much better about putting a coffee that's full of superfoods in my body. I've been loving the Focus Fuel instant mushroom coffee from organic traditions. And of course, all the ingredients are organic. It's packed with Lion's Mane Mushroom to support memory, focus, and cognitive function, adaptogens to nourish your brain, and MCT powder to boost your energy and improve mental clarity. And before you make that face, no, it doesn't taste like mushrooms. It tastes like coffee. Actually, better than most. There are hints of cinnamon and vanilla, and it is absolutely delicious. Did I mention it also just won Best New Mushroom Enhanced Beverage in a 2024 Brand Spark survey? Want to try the Focus Fuel Mushroom Coffee yourself? Head to OrganicTraditions.com and use the promo code WOMENINMEDIA20 for 20% off at checkout. And by the way, that applies for the entire site, not just the coffee. You're welcome. Just add water and get at it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centres or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What about the idea of like in Toronto being like a well-known personality on the air? I know you, th- I think anyway, that you have that with World Cafe and have grown your presence already, even in the few years that you've been there. But was that idea of leaving this, like, I'm a well-known personality here. No one's going to know me there. Did that ever go through your head? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah.
1: I mean, I lived in Toronto for, like, since I was 18 years old. I, yeah. like, it was everybody that I knew was there. And I felt like I knew everybody there in, in a way. Like, obviously, I didn't. but like it In felt- the scene, yeah. When I went out, I would know somebody at whatever show I went to. And it was a very strange experience to move here. I mean, especially before my uh, my boyfriend moved here. Um, I was, like, literally alone for the first time ever. Uh, and, yeah, I would go to a show, and everyone would look vaguely familiar because everyone kind of looks, like, everybody who's into, like, indie rock music kind of looks the same everywhere. Yeah. But I'd realize, like, I'm like, I don't. I don't know any of these people. I don't know anybody. You're really starting, not at square one, because ultimately I also have a radio show and a whole station behind me, right? It's not like I'm moving to a new city with like nothing but a bindle and like a dream, like I have something. But um, <laughs> it, it is weird. It's like you have to start all over again at establishing yourself as somebody that you know people can trust, that they hopefully will like. Um, I, I think that, Having started, you know, at the CBC, for instance, right after somebody people really loved, like Tom Power, I took over for Tom, people love Tom and rightfully because he's great. Um, It took about three years for people to like care about who I was or like me or like develop that relationship. I'm starting to feel that that's like I'm, you know, about three years in and I'm starting to feel like I'm getting that. Of course we had the pandemic in between, so that kind of messed things up a little bit. But it's um it is strange. But it's exciting because I think one of the reasons I wanted to leave Toronto was because I didn't know where to go from where I was unless I wanted to go into like hard J journalism, which I didn't think I really wanted to do, at least not at that point. And I still don't know if that would be the thing for me anyway. Um as far as music went, it didn't feel like there was a lot, uh, there, there were a lot of options for me at that moment, and I wanted something new.
0: Maybe hit a ceiling.
1: In a way, uh, I, you know, I, I, I don't love to think about it exactly like that because I like to think that you can kind of create your own thing if you really want to. Um, sometimes that's really hard. But it did feel like I knew I I wanted to go to the States because I knew that there were just more options. And I knew that, like, there was a whole bunch of uncharted stuff for me to, like, explore. And in Toronto, I kind of knew what the landscape was. And I kind of knew that there wasn't really anywhere for me to go at that point. It's weird. It's an ego thing, too, right? Like, you're like, oh, suddenly I'm somewhere else and no one gives a shit about who I am or anything I've ever done. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But I mean, I'm lucky I have a very supportive team here and, and they've been like behind me the whole Everything, way.
0: So, yeah. yeah. I hear a lot of myself and what you just said and I'm, I'm playing with the idea of creation right now. Yeah. it's It's terrifying to do, especially when you find yourself not attached to an organization and you're just doing it on your own. It's, it is terrifying, but I feel so much of what you just said.
1: I mean, I feel like right now is an interesting time to, to create your own things because you, you can, I mean, uh, when I started in radio, I guess you could have an internet radio show, but like that, there was no, podcasting wasn't a thing yet. Like
0: you were always creating your own thing though. If we go back to like, was it Alan Cross that you were an intern for? Uh,
1: No, I was just an intern at Chorus. So it was like in the digital (laughs) department, though.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I kind of did a little bit of everything. But I did. You're right. I did start a YouTube series. I just remember like knowing more about the things that you did before you were on air at, at, at The Edge, like knowing more about the things you had created before that. Which is interesting, yeah. too, at this moment to think about that.
1: I think we're, we're kind of... It's weird because, like, you and I, I think our whole career is probably, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, we've heard about how great it used to be in radio.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And that can be frustrating, and there are definitely times where that, like, gnaws at me a little bit. But we're also in a time where you can make something without having to be hired you can make stuff without having to worry about following rules about like language or or <laughs> content or really anything i mean yeah there's like yeah. music rights that's still the big thing you have to contend with yeah which you know that's good but um it's it's a very different world if you want to make something on your own obviously the rules have shifted but there are good things about it too yeah you know?
0: for sure I thought I would ask you about this, and if you ask me to take it out, I completely will. But I remember there being a time where, like, you were, like, holding a cigarette at a broadcast. It was, oh like, a God. totally other totally other persona of you, you know? <laughs> and, and I remember, like, you were suddenly gone from the edge, and there were all these, like, conversations swirling. Reflect on that compared to where you are now and what you, like, learned from the early parts of your career.
1: Yeah, I mean, I try to remember that when I was at the edge, I was, like – 23, 24, maybe. Um, And I'd been interning there since I was in university. And uh, I was a dumb idiot. Uh, (laughs) I was like a very driven dumb idiot. Um, And I think I was not equipped to handle a lot of, like, what was happening at that point. I was working weird hours and... I was hanging out in cool places with cool people and I was like, you know, this is like it was it was like I was not being a responsible person. Let's just say that. Um,
0: And and, for the record, I have also gone through this for the record. Yeah.
1: Like (laughs) it's you know, I think that if I went back in time, there are small things I probably would change, but I probably would have been the same person getting fired from the edge after being an idiot, um, was really good for me. I, it sucks that, you know, that will always be a thing people might think about me, but I don't really care because yeah. I know that getting fired from that it was humbling. It was a chance for me to think, okay, maybe I don't want to do radio. Maybe I want to do something else. Maybe I don't care about this. And then realize that, no, I did want to do it. And that if I was going to do it, I had to take things much more seriously. I think I also kind of felt like when I was there, that no one was paying attention to what I was yep. doing. And yep. so whatever, I'll just do what I want. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's a dangerous spot to put yourself in. Um, and I am, you know, I went out for coffee a few years after that with the person who fired me. And I said, like, thank you. You know, I know that you it was hard. It was like a shitty situation. And I think if you had never done that, I could be in a much worse position now. I think that like it put this thing in me where I'm like, I need to if I want to do this, I really have to bust
0: my like ass to account- do it. And accountability I really, lesson.
1: Exactly that, too. Yeah. And it's yeah. like people can see you.
0: So <laughs> don't, yeah. don't be an
1: idiot. Um, and that's like a lesson that. Every now and then I need to be reminded, I think, in smaller ways, but I think people who are good personalities on air are not always, like, going to behave in the most perfect way
0: sometimes. And I'm
1: not trying to give myself an excuse here, but, like, I think that some of those compelling people are people who are complicated or are dealing with things or are, you know, not just getting up going to the gym every day, going to work, going to make their salad, like, doing everything exactly perfect. You know, would it be nice to be able to, like, do that? Sure. Sometimes I am that person, but sometimes I'm not. Um, Humans are messy. Yeah. And I also think that, like, and this, again, I'm not trying to excuse myself at all, but I don't know if you would agree with this. I think that there is a tendency to judge women harsher when they behave badly,
0: I was like, oh, I haven't asked her one thing about, like, her perception of being a female in this industry, but you're leading me right into it.
1: Yeah, I I think that is, I think the biggest thing that bothers me about being a woman in this industry, and it is, it's not, you know, I've been very fortunate. I've, you know, gotten to do a lot of jobs that I didn't think were open to me when I first started in broadcasting. Um, But I've also seen how there is still... Even among people who would never, ever, ever want to say that they were like this, there is this feeling or this difficulty people have with women who have more than one dimension, who don't fit into, like, what people want them to be, who mm-hmm. are get angry, who um, have opinions, who, you know, can be gross or, like, say things that, you know, uh, might be... And I'm not saying, like, offensive in any deep, horrible way, but, like, you know, might be kind of, you know, iffy. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, like, I guess I I do think that there is still a resistance to letting women be full people, uh, for better or for worse.
0: No, for sure. And the, the idea of, like, you know, some women maybe being confident enough to speak their mind or... Be a little more messy than the average, you know? I think, how, how many personalities at the edge before you didn't get fired? You know, like, that's that's where my brain goes. And it's just, I'm glad that it led you to such a, you know, a great place that you are today.
1: Not to, like, toot my own horn here, but I'm very proud of myself that I didn't give up after that. And I didn't just I say, oh, forget it. I'm too embarrassed, or I'm, like, angry, or whatever. Like, I'm glad that I didn't, because... That would have been,
0: would have been sad. Yeah. And to be honest, like, look what you did after. Like, fuck them. <laughs> it's fine. It
1: really, it's a, you just got to believe in yourself.
0: Okay. We only have a couple minutes left. So I wanted to ask you about this. Um, you've been lecturing. Can you pronounce this for me? Chattahuaqua? Chautauqua.
1: I only did one lecture, to be fair. But okay. uh, Chautauqua, um it's a, how do I even describe this? It was new to me um, when I was asked to do it. It's a very old uh, institution where all summer long there's different weeks of themed programming and there are lectures on different topics. um, And I'd never given a lecture. I was there for the uh, Smithsonian Folkways Week where I gave a lecture on... Folk music and trends in folk music, and World Cafe's sort of role in music discovery and, and folk and all that stuff. And it was, it was really cool. It was terrifying to write a lecture. No, but
0: <laughs> like, so fun. That, like, you know what you're talking about when it comes to music discovery. Come on.
1: I know, but you know, okay, you know what I mean. When you're on the radio, you're writing for like 45 seconds at the most. Right, And yeah. I was like, I got to write 45 minutes? Like, I don't even know how to do that.
0: Funny <laughs> enough, I did a lecture of some sort for um, my faculty. I graduated from at, at Western. And it was just this year as well. And I couldn't – it wasn't in person or anything. So I didn't have, like, feedback. It was in a some sort of platform where you couldn't tell what the audience – how they were reacting. But you you could just see how many people were in the virtual room, like a number. And – I found it so hard to not have feedback, like the way that you get texts or tweets from a radio station or calls. Like there was literally no way for me to know if anything I said landed. I found that so weird. But in this, in your case, you were in person. Yeah. So it was. I wore a suit and everything.
1: I did say at the very beginning of my of my talk, I was like, "It's really nice to be able to see all your faces," because same kind of thing. Like that immediate feedback is such a thrill. That's why you like live radio. I
0: do, yeah. I think. Um, so one thing I like to do um, at the end of every Women in Media podcast episode, I ask uh, for you to nominate some women that you would love to hear more about on, you know, in a long-form conversation type of way. It can be anyone mm-hmm. that you respect who's a, a woman or female identifying person in the media.
1: I feel like you've probably talked to like, – here's one of the sad things is like there are – not enough women
0: in the Canadian media world.
1: Um, let me just Behind think for the one second. Is cool uh, too. Yeah, uh, have you've talked? I'm sure you've talked to Lana. Lana Gay. Yeah, or Nanaba Duncan at CBC. Just really smart, funny. Just, she's worked on like all sides of of uh, production and on air, and she's awesome. No, I haven't talked
0: to either of them. I mean, Lana, I see every day. I will literally see her in an hour. And I have not had her on yet.
1: Lana knows so much stuff. She's so interesting. She knows so much. Yeah, I mean, you work with some really incredible women that I love a lot. Marjorie Malpass was a talent coach that I had. She is awesome. Um, Mm. I had her right before I got this job and right before I was at the CBC. And there's stuff that she taught me that was so pivotal for me just a really changed how i thought about a lot of stuff um That's and then cool. at cbc um anne mckeegan she's one of the people who runs Q. she was one of the people who was sort of in charge of cbc music when i was there oh you know who i think you'd really like talking to Who uh, is jess huddleston she worked at cbc as well now she works at spotify canada she's really cool
0: Thank you so much for making the time. I know you've been super busy down there and um, safe travels for the holidays and keep doing you. I love everything that you said today.
1: Sarah, thank you so much.
0: And there you have it. My last Women in Media conversation of 2022. I'm going to take a little break over the holidays as I line up new guests for 2023. A reminder, there are 48 episodes of this thing with fantastic guests that you can either revisit or listen to for the first time, because I'm sure you missed one or two over the course of the year. I'll do a little holiday brainstorming too, because we're coming up on episode 50. I feel like I got to throw a party or something. Either that or score a slam dunk of a guest. Stay tuned. More great conversations coming in 2023. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy holidays. Whatever you celebrate, I hope that you've got some time to put your feet up over the next few weeks. And I'll talk to you in the new year. I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. We're now podcasters. And why did we call it that? Well, you know us as decorators, but we've got lots more to share. We want to talk about travel and relationships. We're going to have amazing guests on. Guests who inspire us for sure. We'll probably talk about design too. And of course, Tommy, don't forget about food. Oh my gosh, how did I forget about food? So please follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or as they say, wherever you get your podcast. And we'll pop right up when we have a new episode. Wish us luck.